0: But I, I really appreciate you joining us today. Uh, yeah. We've got Jared Wickland with us, and you—you you got a pretty cool job, actually, because you're working for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, my, uh, it, it's it's a passion project for me is, is what it really is. It's, you know, I, there's some people in this world that go to work every day and say, you know, why why am I here? And <laughs> peasant's, forever, peasants Forever and Quail Forever, I, I, I know why I'm here and I know what we're working towards. So, I, um, you know, as a, as a foremost, you know, leading upland bird habitat conservation group in the United States, um, it's very easy to come to work for every day because my, uh, my work is my passion. And um, I think uh, a lot of people in this organization uh, sort of have that same, same mindset.
0: Yeah, no, it's definitely easy when the mission lines up with your own, you know, personal feelings and, and it, it makes it a lot easier. I know that's why I love, you know, I do get to travel a bit to events and someone actually approached us about coming to uh, Pheasant Fest, uh, yep. which, which is one that we're looking at, you know, Seeing how or if we're able to make it, you know, there's a lot of logistics there, but it's a lot of work to go to stuff like that. But when it's a passion and you know the the driving force behind it, like like we'll do um, the Wisconsin Bear Hunters Convention every year. And I'll tell you, it's a brutal four weeks. And I know what you guys have to do to put on those events is just unreal. The manpower and the hours yeah but it, makes it a little a, easier
1: <laughs> it's a pretty massive undertaking you know and then you add in uh all the vendors and the dogs and you know you're bringing in staff to to help uh with the fundraising side of it and just with the show itself and doing the advertising yeah it's a it's a massive undertaking but like you said it's it's uh 30 30,000 like-minded people in the same room so right. it makes it once once you're there and you get going, you know, you get through Saturday night. The rest is the rest is
0: just cake. So <laughs> <laughs> it's downhill. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Pretty much, yeah.
0: Well, I've got a couple of things and I'm gonna jump out of order from what I was hoping to talk about, but you just brought up the fundraising. And I think with nonprofits, it's a really big deal to bring up. You know, a lot of people are skeptical of how the funds are spent and this and that. And the one thing I found, correct me if I'm wrong, but in researching you guys. It sounds like all the local chapters, the fundraising money there, it stays for their dedicated projects. And there's just a percentage, you know, or your membership fees that go to the national level. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So I like to tell people the the difference between the Pheasants Forever and Quill Forever and uh, all the other wonderful conservation groups that that we work in partnership with all the time out there, whether sure. it's you know Ducks Unlimited, uh, National Wild Turkey Federation, Rocky Mountain Elk mm-hmm. Foundation, all all of those is that our model is local. So everything that uh, chapters so um, volunteers at the at the local level they get together they start a chapter uh they hold a local fundraiser and all the money that's raised at that except for membership fees which is 30 35 dollars per person uh yeah. all that stays with the local chapter the 35 dollars comes back to us uh you know for to pay staff keep the lights on run different programs and initiatives keep keep things going cuz it's still a, it's at, at the end of the day, it's still a business, right? Like you have to right. you have to run it as such. Um, but we are we are extremely transparent with everything that we do uh on the financial side. And you're absolutely correct. Membership comes back here and the funds stay with local chapters. I'm involved in the local chapter. Uh we should you know support shooting teams, uh, do land acquisitions, do habitat projects, run uh, food plot seed program. There's a lot of different things that chapters do. Um, day in and day out, maybe not day in and day out. Some, some of us that work for the organization, I try to, <laughs> try to, sep- try to separate like church and state, right. Try, to, oh, for try sure. to, try to get my life back from, uh, doing the PR thing on the side. But, um, you know, Pheasants Forever started back in 1982, uh, right here in St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, where I'm, where I'm coming to you from. And, um, it, there was an article written by Dennis Anderson. He's one of the last remaining, like, big-time outdoor writers in this country that, that works for the Star Tribune. He's been here a long time. Um, at, at that point in time, in 1982, he was working for the St. Paul Pioneer Press, or I think for the Dispatch, maybe. Um, and he wrote an article called Upland Bird Restoration, The Time Is Now. And it basically talked about, you know, uh, it started with, have you ever seen a have you ever seen a pheasant freeze on the side of the road uh, in Minnesota in winter when, you know, the habitat's degraded and um, there's there's nothing left for wildlife? And and that just got a lot of response, a lot of letters sent in. And uh, sure. he decided at that point to, to start a, an organization that was dedicated to the the bird itself, dedicated to upland hunters. And that's really how Pheasants Forever came about.
0: That's cool. Now, how, you said that started back in 80, was it 87 you said? 82. 82? Yep, yep,
1: 1982. And then
0: 1982. That's kind of morphed into, you said quail forever it is a much more recent extension yep. kind of, of of pheasants forever.
1: Yep, in the early 2000s, uh, we started looking at quail populations and, um, you know, they dropped uh, 80. 80 percent since the 1970s and uh we decided you know what we're doing this similar thing for pheasants um quail 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 deserve it's such an iconic species especially when you're talking you know bob white is the big one i think everybody knows but you get into you know mountain quail and merns quail Mm -hmm. and Gamble quail there's all sorts of you know six different species of wild quail but uh we've Really expanded our footprint through Quail Forever um, to basically the the lower lower forty eight states. We did have chapters in, in uh, we did have a Quail and Pheasants Forever chapter in Hawaii at one point. Uh, we also had a chapter in Anchorage at one point. We don't anymore. So in wow. the lower four, lower forty eight, um, we've got a chapter in uh, in every state.
0: Oh wow yeah that's it's, a pretty big deal, really.
1: It is. It's a big group of people. you know the the you talked about fundraising there a little bit ago, and uh, the pandemic set us back a little bit, but thankfully, <laughs> due to our due to our model, it set it set everybody back, right? Yeah, but right. <laughs> thankfully, due to our model, um we had a lot of support uh, at the chapter level to help help keep us going. and we dropped about twenty thousand members during that time. But typically we sit right or between one hundred and thirty and one hundred and fifty thousand members. Um, it's a it's a very big organization with a large voice for upland habitat conservation. And that's uh, no, and that's what we do day in and day out around here. Um, you know, as as the as the press guy, as the as a PR manager, you know, people always ask me what's what's my role. It's it's to write about and try to get earned media around all the cool things that we're doing on the landscape, and that's right. that's uh, you know that's land acquisitions, that's partnership projects, that's chapters. Uh, Or or our state affiliates, you know, uh, adopt a wildlife management area program where we're going out and helping upgrade those wildlife management areas, public property to the best that they can possibly be. Um, We're helping to enroll walk-in area programs, uh, you know, throughout the state. Oregon's actually got a pretty cool one um, that we're involved with out there um, right now, Um, along with all the other states. I wouldn't say all of them, but there's, uh, there's a number of different states where we're extremely involved in, in walk and access programs. And then our, our big claim to fame, too, is a, uh, is a biologist program. If you are a private landowner uh, in the United States, they, there's a very good chance that we have a biologist within a reasonable distance of you. Um, you know, Whatever your, whatever your wildlife conservation uh, thoughts are, whatever plan you'd like to come up with, it could be pheasants or quail uh it could be sage grouse it could be mule deer it could be wild turkey our biologists that come out and uh, make a personalized conservation program for your property Wow! Uh, and, and that's where we can really really make a difference um for for wildlife
0: wow yeah that's pretty crazy can you guys have a pile of biologists i was looking at the numbers on the website you know doing a little homework before this and it's like wow you guys i mean i i have heard of you guys i mean for a long time. I mean, I knew I was, I don't want to say familiar, but knowledgeable of them. And then, you know, when you start digging into it and just chatting with you, it's like, there's a lot going on behind the scenes that's driving this, you know, and, and it's really more just an aid to the public, you know, especially like you said, the way you're structured really took me by surprise because, you know, I'm familiar with a lot of other habit, or I don't want to say habitat projects like other yeah conservation groups across the board it's like there's always a percentage that has to go here or there's this that's allocated here where you guys are really working at you know the people that are putting in the time and they're raising those funds you know they get to keep more of an investment in those projects you know it feels like they probably can take that more to heart because it's at home
1: Yep. They're, they're, they're doing the work or they're raising the money and, you know, hiring out the work on some of those areas, which is also a decent way to go. But like, you know, I, I see people, whether it's a you know, the quail forever logo or the pheasants forever logo, it's the pheasant, you know, sun coming up behind it. Sometimes people just think, well, you know, you guys, you guys just go out and shoot pheasants. It's like, well, for a habitat conservation <laughs> group, you know, rednecks and shotguns are part of it and we're probably, yeah, right. I mean, that's what, that's how we were born and raised. Uh, on as an organization, but it's really expanded into um, a lot of different, uh, all the different regions of the United States and, and species, you know, the pheasants, pheasants and quail are what we're working towards, but how we accomplish that right now is done in a lot of different ways. So I mentioned earlier, but like, uh, you know, sage grouse initiative and, and trying to conserve that iconic bird out west um, you know, we've done over 500,000 acres of tree removal in areas where invasive trees are taking over sagebrush. And sagebrush as an ecosystem, uh, it's good for pheasants too. It's good for mule deer, uh, and obviously, oh, sure. obviously sage grouse, elk, uh, antelope. Um, we work with landowners, uh, in a lot of, uh, western regions to, help fix their fence, uh, to, to help with migration corridor for, uh, pronghorn antelope. Um, they can't jump over those fences, so they have to be able to go underneath. So that's a big project we're working on right now. Keeping, um, we've got big, big game habitat improvement, uh, positions throughout the West where, uh, men and women are working to keep, you know, 60,000 acres at a, at a time of intact grasslands for migration corridors, which, you know, that equals uh that equals pheasants and shark tails and all the wonderful things we care about water quality uh sure. carbon, se- carbon sequestration for climate resiliency um you know a, a, another big avenue for us is pollinators a lot of people don't realize pheasants forever and quill forever uh are one of the foremost authorities right now in putting pollinator habitat back on the landscape we've planted over a billion milkweed seeds uh in the last decade um, and we use poll- pollinator habitat is great brood habitat for, uh, for pheasants and quail for the young chicks because they eat soft bodied insects, all up upland birds, soft bodied insects, those, especially first three, four months of life. So, um, you know, while we might be focusing on uh, a particular honeybee uh, or the monarch butterfly, which everybody knows about the, the flight that's going on there right now. Um, yeah. you know, we use that as a way to impact habitat for our favorite, uh, favorite species in pheasants and quail.
0: So you guys got a pretty broad, I mean, that's a 30,000 foot view. That's not dialing in on one thing. I mean, you guys no, are going it's, back.
1: It's a broad, broad brushstroke. Um, yeah, you know, we, we, work in the prairie chicken range, sharp tail range, pheasants and quail pollinators all over the place. Um, You know, it's, it's pretty crazy stuff. We've got awesome, uh, relationships right now and are entering new agreements, uh, with, uh, egg and commodity groups, um, to try to figure out how can, how can we help landowners achieve their sustainability efforts, uh, while also, you know, take, taking acres that aren't producing and enrolling them in a program and giving them a a payment for that, for the farm and help keep those family farms going. Uh, while at the same time, uh, upping revenue across all other, all all other acres uh, of their property. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool stuff. And you know what? If you really want to, if you really want to paint a broad brush, I'll give you this. Um, since 1982, Pheasants Forever and Quill Forever has improved 22 million acres. Um, a lot, a lot on uh, private, a lot on public as well. And as part of those public acres, we've permanently conserved. Uh, we're over 221,000 acres right now, which is I don't have a calculator in front of me, but it's about 300 and, 350 square miles. So you just walk the outside of those would take you all the way from Canada to the, to the
0: Mexico border. So that is wild. Yeah, I mean, like to people who awesome. don't understand, like yep. that just sounds like a big number. That's a huge number. I mean, when it, it comes to man hours and boots on the ground and and what you guys are putting in, it the number it's overwhelming in a way like that's a huge number for me to hear but at the same time like what has gone on to have that happen and the logistics is crazy it's a lot of
1: banquets <laughs> a dude lot of- yeah
0: you see so you guys run like annual banquets does each chapter run their own banquet for their fundraiser like yep oh rocky mountain elk or i was vice president for the uh, oregon hunters association chapter here locally for a lot of years and you know we had a fundraiser every year, and then we did our own projects in the, in the off season. But do they all have their own fundraising banquets? They do,
1: they do. Every single chapter, um, you know, sort of has a sim- certain way they go about things. But most of them have uh, a single fundraising event per year. Some of them have multiple. Um, they'll put on. Uh, different types of hunts Uh, they'll put on a a clays clays shoot for conservation and raise money that way but most of them put on one annual banquet and that's in a lot of communities i would call it sort of like the community gathering of the year so as yeah that's
0: like the gathering hall
1: yeah as an example i used to work in iowa for peasants forever as a regional rep before i took this job and in, in that role um, you know, I'd go out and help help chapters put on their annual fundraiser, help them with customer service. But I'd go to those fundraisers. A lot of them were in the fall and the spring. And you know, in the fall ones, everybody like uh, we had one up at Winnebago Hancock in the northern part of the state in Iowa, and that was on the that was on the pheasant opener. You know, so. You'd be seeing rough. These, these, well, you'd be seeing these glowing people coming in after being out pheasant hunting for the day. And I'd go up there and hunt with a few chapter guys. We'd set up the night before, go out and hunt during the day. Um, you know, uh, shoot, uh, shoot a couple limits of pheasants and, uh, just having a great old time. And then we'd all, all meet, uh, put on our banquet clothes and, you know, you get all the hunters showing up, sharing stories about how great of a day they had or, uh, their oh, dog, that's cool. you know, their dog just had this hundred yard retrieve, uh, you know, through the, through the woods and fields and water. And, um, you right. know, and then, then, you know, based on that, that good feeling. You're raising a lot of money that night because they want, they want more of that. They want, you know, and it's not just, it's again, it's not just for, it's not just for upland birds. It's, it's for deer, it's for walking access, it's for turkeys, it's for the next generation. So yeah, we, uh, we do a a lot of everything and we, we try to do it all well,
0: which is key. Well, and like you said, when you come in off of a high like that, like around here, if you try to plan anything during hunting season with hound guys or a lot of deer and elk hunters, you can forget it. Like they're just not going to show up because they're they're on a multi day, you know, usual trip or whatever. But like that, when you're getting them in there and they just had a taste of what this is all financing, like what this all the efforts going towards. I'll bet you guys have some pretty good auctions, fundraisers, yeah. events. Yeah,
1: it's amazing. Like we, we mentioned, you know, National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic earlier—a big national convention that sort of moves around the country. It's in Minneapolis this year, um, but you can, you know, last year we've got our we've got our call call of the Uplands National Campaign going right now. Um, it, it's sort of going to sunset here in February at National Pheasant Fest, but that, that's been a five year, five hundred million dollar campaign to try and save. Dang save save a piece of north america's uplands that's what it's about and i remember last year um you know we shared some videos and did some cool things and we were trying to trying to raise money for um for a particular uh access and habitat program and in five minutes the people in that room you know raised uh, over a hundred thousand just on their phones
0: <laughs> <Man>, that <laughs> doesn't amazing. include what there's
1: you know spending on raffle tickets and and, and those types of things so right. yeah it's uh it's a, it's a pretty cool adventure and it's, uh, it's really fun to see and be part of, as somebody that's been part of a local Pheasants Forever chapter, not, not just from the work as- aspect, but from a volunteer aspect, um, you know, we put on our fundraiser in April and it's just a, uh, it's, it's a really great time and to catch up with everybody from year to oh, year. It's probably the best part about it.
0: Yeah. Sometimes those are like the one time you get to see everybody. Yeah. You know, I've got guys that I see once a year and that's it. Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation or the Oregon Hunters Association or, you know, it's just like, it's a gathering place. It still feels like, I don't know. I think of the old Grange halls, you know, and gatherings and stuff like that. It's just down home. Here's an example
1: for you. So Oregon, are you familiar with the hunt by reservation program? I am not. Uh, So in Oregon, we've got a staffer out there named Brandon Deitches and Brandon helps run the hunt by reservation program. And he basically goes out and works with private landowners to get them signed up for that. And, and, Oregon, I hear you guys have a, you know, his particular program focuses on all the different species, but I know out there you have a, an issue with wild turkeys in some regions. Correct me if I'm wrong.
0: <laughs> yeah, the over influx of wild turkeys.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so we, we work with landowners to, to line up areas where, you know, turkeys become a problem or perhaps there is a, um, you know, there could be a, uh, a nice quail population, uh, big game, sure. uh, they do waterfall, dove, all those types of things. But Brandon goes around and signs up landowners for this program. And it's a hunt bear reservation in Oregon where landowners can, uh, or sorry, excuse me, hunters can go online, uh, and reserve a spot to go in and, uh, oh, wow. you know, take part in a hunting opportunity that's provided by private landowners. So that that's just, is really uh, cool. Yeah, that's just one. That's just one small example uh, of how we are helping uh, connect habitat uh, and access throughout the nation, uh, and you know, in the Northwest for you. So
0: that is great. Yep,
1: yeah. yep. Yeah, that's a really, really cool program.
0: Well, you know, and I want to get more into you know the pheasant fast and some of that. But first, I'd really like to talk to you about like why you're drawn to this because you're a hunter yourself. Yep. You said what kind of dogs are you are you running right now? I've got an English
1: Pointer who uh, he'll be 11 in February, um, but he's still he's still gung ho and uh, can out, can outrun most of them. And I've also got a three year old lab named Luna uh, who uh, I'm going to be taking out for the duck opener here actually actually this uh, this coming weekend.
0: So oh, cool. So what species are you hunting then? You're, is waterfowl new for you then or is this just a, a new dog?
1: <laughs> no, so I, I grew up in Duluth, Minnesota. Um, you know it's right on the tip of Lake Superior for listeners that don't know where that is and it's been labeled uh, one of the top out, outdoor towns in the nation multiple times now. So I grew up uh, I grew up on the traditions of rough grouse and white-tailed deer hunting in the Superior National Forest. Um, in the northern part of the state, you're talking millions of acres of just straight up forest just habitat. Land. Yeah. So I, I never, never really got exposed to. I did duck hunting as well. We had a cabin in Northwest Wisconsin growing up, so uh, you know rough grouse, uh, upland hunting, uh, deer, and waterfowl were sort of my thing. And I really didn't get into pheasant hunting until I moved down to a little town called Decorah, Iowa. Are you familiar with Decorah, Iowa at all? I am not. It's where Luther college is. And that's, that's where I went to school. It's in the Northeast corner of Iowa. When I moved down there, one of the reasons I decided to go there was for the outdoor opportunities. When you're talking deer hunting, pheasant hunting, turkey hunting, trout fishing, uh, waterfall as well. It's, it's really tough to beat the Northeast corner of the state that got a little bit of everything. Really? Maybe we actually got, got a couple of rough drafts there too. And, Damn. uh, that that's one of the reasons that, that, that drew me to that part, uh, of the, of the state. And, um, my first year was my first experience with pheasant hunting and I was just hooked. I didn't really know about pheasants forever until I started, started doing pheasant hunting and looking, looking it up online. Um, and, uh, got halfway through school. I was actually focusing on, I was going to be a, uh, I'm going to be a nurse. And then I switched over to exercise physiology we got a lot of heart problems in my family so that's kind of what got me on that line I wanted to help 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 save people from from you know going through the whole heart attack sure um halfway through school I had my schedule set up uh I had classes all day Tuesday Thursday all day and into the night I had Monday Wednesday Friday off. And uh, if I wasn't, if I was <laughs> what wasn't were you hunting, doing in your downtime? <laughs> if I wasn't hunting or doing uh, things I probably shouldn't have been doing in my downtime, uh, you know, uh, hunting really became uh, um, something that I was doing uh, uh, almost every day or every other day at least. So um, really got into that. And I said to myself, you know what? You, you love the outdoors so much. Like a conservation officer or something in the in the outdoor realm. Right after. Sure. Right after school, um, I ended up going up to Alaska for a year and was a wilderness guide up there out of a uh, a nonprofit called uh, Alaska Center for the Environment, taking people out on uh, fishing trips and camping trips and kay- kayaking out oh, in the ocean. Cool. It, yeah, it was pretty incredible. Saw a lot of a lot of bears and, and moose and got into some sticky situations, you know, traveling, with taking little kids on mount, mountain biking in the, in the, uh, the Chugach Range. Uh, right around Anchorage. But after that, I came home and, uh, was really looking for an outdoor opportunity. And that's, that's really why I got involved in Bezos forever. It just, it hit me as a person. Uh, I'd always wanted a dog. I got my first dog when I started working for them. I actually started as an unpaid intern for a year, believe it or not, after I got back from Alaska. Um, oh, wow. and I, I basically worked my tail off and asked them for a shot and the, The rest has been history. It's been uh, a
0: now you're the guy. You're the (laughs) base. It's
1: been a labor of love. I've been here for twelve years now, and uh, honestly, you know, you always you always get that question from people like, "Where where do you see yourself in five, ten years from now?" Um, It's working for this organization. I I I love it that much. In fact, I actually have a big uh, uh, cedar cutout of the Pheasants Forever logo on my pool barn out back. If I had a window, I'd turn my camera around right now. (laughs) And show you that but yeah it's uh it's a labor cool. it's something that that uh is, is pretty
0: new and dear to me so well like you said That's when it's law. a labor of love it, <laughs> yep. it makes it way different you know the years fly by i mean shoot when i came here to to w yeah it's been almost six years now and it's like dang it it just happened in my mind like it wasn't that long ago and time just flies because you know when you enjoy what you're doing they say time flies when you're having fun <laughs>
1: Yeah, honestly, working, working for Pheasants Forever um, and being able to tell the story about, you know, an incredible, incredible land acquisition that just came about or, you know, anything related to uh, our work with uh, state agencies or walking programs, just being able to to tell those successes um, and let people know, like, hey, you know, you went to this banquet um, this is what came out of it. And Pheasants forever is, is working for the pup, for the public land hunter. We're working for landowners to help them out through our biologist program, which is, uh, one of the biggest biologist programs in the country right now. I think we employ more biologists right now. We're second only to the U S fish and wildlife service. You know, we've got hundreds of biologists wow. on the landscape, uh, through, throughout the United States, which, which is pretty cool. And to think that yeah. in 1982, Uh, This organization started from a newspaper article uh, in somebody's garage.
0: So, all the good ones start. We've come, yeah,
1: we've come (laughs) a really long way, and it's a really rich history. And we're celebrating our 40th this year, which uh, I'm I'm very proud, proud to uh, to talk about. So, yeah,
0: heck yeah. No, that's really cool. And especially like knowing when you start it kind of at the bottom, you know, and you're coming in, and now, like, I mean, obviously, you you put a lot of time and a lot of effort into it. And I know you guys have the big fundraiser and event Pheasant Fest, which you said is coming up in February.
1: It is February 17th through the 19th at the Minneapolis convention. Center.
0: Uh, So we, we actually got turned on to you guys because one of your uh, members, or I'm going to say, I believe an employee was talking to me, you know, ordered some stuff and I had no idea, you know, I know I had dealt with them prior but didn't understand the affiliation there. And he I think it
1: was Rich, right? Rich it was. was it yeah, it was yep. Rich.
0: Yep. I get weird about mentioning names because sometimes I don't know if they want nah, it or not. Everybody but. knows Rich. It's all
1: good. Yeah. He's a, he's a good. He's a good Wisconsin
0: boy. So, so yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and that's probably how he knew us. We got a lot of Wisconsinites that follow. But yep. you know, he kind of turned us on to it and he's like, You guys really need to come to Pheasant Fest. Which, you know, like I said, we don't do a lot of events. We really only do a few a year. But Paint a picture for me because I've never been to a a big like upland event. I've never done like the big rendezvous things. I've always done like state chapter, you know, or, you know, local chapter state, but I've never been to a big national thing like that. Yeah. What, what are we talking? Is it just a gathering? Is it, there's vending obviously and I'm assuming some exhibitions. What exactly is going to be going on?
1: Pheasant Fest, I like to describe it this way. It's a trade, it's an outdoor trade show combined with an expert seminar series on hunting, cooking, dog training, um, and habitat management, sort of all rolled into one. Um and then with that, you've got the fundraisers. you have got a Friday night fundraiser, we've got a Saturday night fundraiser. So I really tell people, you know, if you're gonna to come to Pheasant Fest. Come for the whole weekend. Get the weekend package, sure. your know, hotel, stay with friends, whatever you need to do. Um, and come on down because um it's it's shotguns and it's dogs and it's honey gear and it's art, um, anything you can really think of. We've got mom and pop stores that that come here all the time as well. Um, but it's it's really a it's a gathering of conservation minded individuals who care about the environment, uh care about conservation and uh I would say eighty five percent of them are a pretty pretty diehard hunters too, which um is cool. it's easy to get it's easy to get along with people. Let me let me put it that way.
0: Right, yeah. You walk in the room and everybody's buddies.
1: <laughs> yeah, and we've done everything from uh you know we've had uh Hank Shaw who's just a renowned wild game chef. Um you know he was our headliner last year. Um you know in the past we've had Steve Bernello from Meat Eater. Um you know, signing books and, and, uh, giving a, giving a talk at our Saturday night dinner. Um, you know, this year we've got a number of different things going on on Thursday night before Pheasant Fest even opens. We're doing a, we're doing a film fest and this would be our second, second annual film fest.
0: Uh, oh, we'll cool.
1: Bring people in and show them just uh pretty dramatic short films, uh, that are based on upland hunting. Uh, we've done everything from, you know, sharp tails and, and quail to pheasants and, uh, you know, ptarmigan up in Alaska. Just uh pretty pretty awesome videos where you basically sort of get to imagine like there is a bucket list hunt everywhere.
0: This is it. This is it right
1: here. <laughs> yeah, so right you know that's that's typically held this year. I think it's gonna be at the Poorhouse in downtown Minneapolis. Um which is you know you got every 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 kind of beer on tap that you can possibly think of and uh you know most of the people that you get to know over the years are there and attending it. Any, anyone who's anyone is, is at that event. <laughs> yeah, right. and, it's the uh, event
0: of the season. Yeah.
1: It's basically, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a gathering to watch some pretty cool films and, and uh, catch up with people about how they're up the season so It's pretty much uh, almost over at that time, uh, you know, in, in mid February.
0: So, so do yeah, people need to, to sign up for like those workshops? I mean, I'm, calling no, it a workshop more like a seminar but
1: they're all all the workshops uh dog training cooking all those come with your entry so it's like it's you know ten ten dollars to get onto the show floor and it, wow. it, com- it comes with all that you know the banquets are separate you you pay if you want to come to the banquet and have a, have a nice meal and, and do some fundraising with us and Um, You know, sit through uh, some of the different seminars that we do at that to to show people, um, you know, where we've been and sort of where we're going as far as conservation is concerned.
0: Um,
1: But uh, the the weekend itself, uh, you get onto the show floor and there's just a lot of different things to do and see uh, a lot of signups for things, prizes to win, shotguns. Uh, We give away uh, ATVs, UTVs um just a lot of a lot of interesting things there if you're if you're an outdoor person. Uh and the, what's becoming a bigger draw now really is our our path to the upland stage as well. So we get we get a lot of a lot of youth, a lot of young kids um coming boys girls That's awesome, uh, and then men and women too adult onset hunters are a big category for us right now. So um you know if, if you're booming, right? Yeah, and if you're if you're figuring out or trying to figure out like Man, I want to get into hunting, but where do I start? National Feds and Fests and Quo Classic. Classic is a good place to answer that question. Yeah. Um, everything from getting hooked up with a mentor uh, to to learning the ropes on you know upland hunting. Um, they do uh, they have fishing simulators, hunting simulators, just all sorts of things for people to do. So
0: wow.
1: all in all, it's just a it's a very very fun fun weekend uh, for for, for outdoors people in general.
0: That is cool. I mean, the hunter recruitment—that's one that I think about a bit, you know, and I wonder where we're going to be because it's funny because, like, the youth in, in some aspects of the outdoors, the youth activity is really taken off.
1: You yep. You know, yep. you look at high school and high school shooting teams, is right? A great example:
0: archery. You know, I've seen a lot more schools getting archery programs, which translates. <laughs> yep. You know, it just shifts those kids and their mindset towards. You know, thinking about hunting, even if they've never thought of it before, it's like, oh, this is cool. I can take a skill that I'm doing for fun and I can put food on the table. You know, I think that that plays a lot. And then you've got the adult onset hunters, right, that are coming in, you know, they weren't exposed to it before, now they are. And I'm waiting to see like how that all pans out because I'm going to say those the late starters, you know, I know a lot of people that haven't hunted, but now they're in their like late twenties even. Yeah. And they're thinking, Hey, I want to give this a shot. Well, I know they have kids and they're young. So it's like, you wonder, there's like this limbo, right? We're waiting because the kids aren't quite old enough to come in at a certain level, but the adults are making it. And you wonder, is it going to hold out long enough that they get that recruitment, you know, and keep their kids involved in it. And what I'm seeing is once those late hunters come in man they're die hard they're like i i don't know like i would think of them as dyed in the wool outdoorsmen because they come in with a passion like they're here for a reason do you guys see a lot of that as far as like volunteers and you know people just coming in fired up
1: Yep, we absolutely do it 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 takes one time basically to make a spark uh, especially for adult onset hunters um we've got a lot of awesome programs. I was just on a conference call yesterday. Um, you know, listen to our hunting heritage uh, program manager um talk about all the all the cool learn learn to hunt events that are uh associated with adult onset hunters that are going on right now and will be into the future. And it's almost and sometimes it's almost easier too because those people are coming in. Uh they've they've got uh they've got um They're able to purchase the the items that are necessary to to go up when hunting. Uh, You know, we hook them up with a mentor. We do a learn-to-hunt event first, which is like a controlled, uh, simulated controlled situation, right, Um, Mm -hmm. to to get them on the right path, make sure they have their hunter safety. And then uh, we have a mentor program set up where we try to take them out uh, numerous other times in the field throughout the fall. And the idea behind it is to basically graduate them to the point where they're comfortable going out on their own. Um, and sure. pursuing whatever it is, pheasants, quail, grouse, deer, turkeys, bears, whatever it might be. Um, so it, 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 part of my job as the PR manager, and I, I say this a lot, you know, I think one of the one of the terms you hear about out there about, you know, getting more adult onset hunters or getting getting more people mentored in, in the outdoors is that like, oh, you know, hot spotting and there's not enough places to go currently and that's one of the that's one of the uh, big barriers to getting, getting people into the outdoors. It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't have a place to go. Well, thankfully Hmm. Pheasants Forever is here working on that uh, through our land acquisitions, through walking, hunting access and providing places uh, for people to go. And um, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about when when people call me looking for a place to start, you know, like I've, I've never, never been to South Dakota before and I'm coming out this year. Can you give me some pointers on where to go? It's like, oh, I'll drop I'll drop you I'll drop you a few uh, onyx pins if you'd like. My job, um, as I see it, as a PR PR manager for Cousins Redline Quail Forever, and and all of our staff is to really help people find success in the outdoors. Because um, yeah. success, I think, is defined in a lot of different ways. But if we're not helping people find that and 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 be successful, and maybe. And not just the harvest, but you know, see see birds on a trip that they're going out to the
0: experience.
1: Yeah, the experience and get fired up by it. Uh, we need to make sure that we keep them coming back, and one way to do that is help them have a wonderful first experience in the outdoors. And it doesn't doesn't have to be harvesting, which I think that can be a part of it. They get really fired up when you know when they when yeah. they when they harvest something, but uh, just the experience itself. And making sure people are finding success in the field is a, is a big part of all what we do here at does Red rather Well,
0: it's cool because it sounds like you guys have a really good follow up. Like you're, you're a multi-step introduction into this where, you know, I've been involved in a lot of things where it's like a one day, right? Like you're doing a, a yeah. youth outdoor day or you're doing this which are great and, and we they're have good. to do those.
1: They're, yeah, they're awesome, but we got right. to make
0: it's sure making that spark.
1: Yeah, we got to make sure that you're giving them opportunities down the road to take what they've mm-hmm. learned and uh, apply it in a real field situation.
0: Yeah. Um, no, that's really cool. To see more of these conservation groups like you guys that are they're seeing it as it is a multi-step process. Those of us that have been involved in the outdoors our whole life, we don't think of it as anything but Think about these new guys coming in and you've got to have a different perspective because it is, you know, people think I'm nuts because like <laughs> we hunt at night, you just go out in the woods and you turn your dogs loose and we go hunt at night and you don't yeah. think twice about it. And, like you you hunt out in the middle of nowhere at night by yourself. It's like, yeah, that's just what we do because so we grew up. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, it's just no big deal, but to take somebody from a one day event and show them, Oh yeah, this is, kind of the gist of everything, go figure it out on your own. That was rough. And that's kind of the generation I feel like I grew up in, you know, I'm 36. So had I not been involved in it with my family, it was a lot different situation then until now where you guys are really setting up. There's a plan for success. Yep. is and what there, it seems like.
1: There is. And I would say that's the hardest part about being involved in the outdoors right now is if you didn't grow up in a family where your mother or your father, um, you know, you had that figure that introduced you to the outdoors, it's uh it's um what's the word I'm looking for? Uh it's it's hard to it's hard to get involved. Um mm-hmm. and
0: the jumping off point, that first step is rough.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it it can be really rough. And you know, one of the programs that we have going right now that I want to point out to listeners too would be uh Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever in partnership, uh partnership with uh Elps out 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 outdoors with the Z at the end, Elps Al- Outdoors E um is our Hunter Mentor Pledge. And uh you can Google Pheasants Forever, Hunter Mentor Pledge, or Quail Forever, Hunter Mentor Pledge. And, Um, you can go online and, and, uh, basically there's a form on there and you can win all sorts of cool prizes and hunting trips and things, but it's basically, it's you as an individual, um, making a pledge to take somebody outdoors and be a mentor for them throughout the upcoming season. Um, that is cool. Yeah. If you've never, if you've never done it before, just like deliberately taking someone and I'm not talking like, just like. Uh, One trip. Well, I'm not talking one trip or even your son or daughter. It's reaching out and finding somebody that has an interest in the outdoors that asked you about it before. And it's like, hey, I am going to set you up with a program and we're going to go out and hunt a couple different times and you put something on the calendar. And uh, you you take this Hunt or Mentor pledge um, on our website and you follow up with with photos and sort of write your story in there. Um, This last year, we had over 700 people take the pledge uh, of bringing bringing new people outdoors, um, on a, cool. sort of a structured, um, you know, mentor, uh, hunter relationship. So yeah, it's, uh, it's really neat. And, uh, if you're looking for a way that to help get more people outside, um, I would, uh, advise you to go check out the Hunter mentor pledge. Uh, at
0: that is cool, time. man. Yep.
1: Okay. And you
0: said that's in conjunction with Alps outdoors. Yep. Yep. Cause they do outdoor gear. I mean,
1: they do. Yeah, they, they've got uh, anything, anything from hunting and, and camping. They're just a, a wonderful, wonderful entity um, that's been a sponsor of ours uh, for a while now as a national sponsor, and the, the hunter mentor pledge is a is a big part of our relationship with them. Um, actually, for. We've got, uh what's well, National Hunting and Fishing Month. we you got National Hunting and Fishing Day uh, coming up in, in just a few days here. And we're going to be talking more about our partnership with them and all the cool. wonderful things that we're doing uh, uh, to, to get more mentors on the landscape and, and mentees out in the field. Well,
0: I'll even, I'll even give them a free plug here because I had to buy a new pack frame. Mine finally bit the dust. Yep. And I was back and forth. You know, you research stuff and you that's a big investment. Like a... Oh, to yeah. me, it's pretty hard to justify on the budget. Like, okay, I'm going to go dump four hundred dollars on a pack frame and hope I can shoot a deer or an elk this year. Yeah, but I did end up with an Alps pack, and I'll tell you, it's the nicest one I've ever owned.
1: <laughs> yeah, they've got really cool. They've got really quality stuff. Um, I've that got,
0: hybrid, that thing is a killer pack frame.
1: I've actually got a. Um, I wouldn't say on the upland hunting side, but I I actually bought sort of like a, it's a sort of a hiking pack hybrid that's got the shoulder straps and you know strapped around the waist and stuff and i actually use it for turkey hunting and it just works yeah. awesome and it's almost it's bomb it's like bomb proof it's indestructible right. right that's that's what i like about it the most is like I'm, I'm never gonna have to buy another another pack because that thing is uh that thing's never gonna uh go to the wayside so it's, it's well, that's
0: cool to see companies like that <laughs> partner and you know it's uh I mean, that sounds like a really cool program. Yeah. So where can people find, I mean, let's give you a couple of, I mean, let's make some time to make sure people know how to access in case they can't listen to this all the way through or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Where, where would people, where would you direct them to find out, you know, events you guys have going on your partnerships? I mean, I know our listener base is primarily hounds and bird dog hunters who are fiercely loyal to companies that support our lifestyle. Yep. So where are they going to find like your partners, the people you're working with your events?
1: Absolutely. Yep. Um, the number one place would be pheasantsforever.org or quailforever.org. Uh, all of our national sponsors are on there. Many of them, uh, who give back to conservation at an extremely high level. Um, you know, we're talking about Elps Outdoors. Uh, you know, you mentioned the, uh, parinas of the world for, for dog, for dog food and dog health. Um, you know, the, uh, Federal aim, federal ammunition. There's no way they give back back more from the animal manufacturing side of the equation. So you can see all those on there. You can learn about membership opportunities. Uh you can join us on Facebook as well. Um it's just uh Facebook.com backslash pheasants forever, Facebook.com backslash quail forever. And uh we keep uh pretty robust updates on there of all the cool things we got going on. National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. You can get to that page by, by visiting our, our, our main websites. Um, There's a stories tab on there, which I would push people towards if you're looking for cool updates on land acquisitions, uh, kind of in-depth dog stories, nutrition, health, uh, habitat updates, um, you know, those types of things, public access, that's all on there as well. Um, But I would, I would say those, those three, three avenues are probably the best.
0: And it's a great website. I mean, I will say that it's easy to navigate. I, I was on there because you know how a lot of them are. It's pain in the butt. And I will say, you know, it was really easy to go in and see what you guys had going on. I mean, it's in the forefront and it it's a it, really easy to use website.
1: Yeah, if you go to the different tabs too, like you you want to learn how to pheasant hunt if you've never done it before, you need to learn to where where how where to go. Uh, we've got a land acquisitions map on there that lists all the acquisitions that we've done, and we're still working on it right now. But just in you know in Minnesota alone, we've done about 460 projects um, over sixty thousand acres worth. So there's a lot of a lot of property to go to go and visit. Um, you know, yeah. hunter mentor pledge. Um, We've got different uh, programs. If you're a uh, if you're a, uh, a teacher, uh, you know, married to a teacher, got one in the family. We've got all sorts of resources for uh, schools, for shooting teams, those types of things. Uh, we run grant, yeah. grants programs with some of our partners. Uh, there's all sorts of wonderful things on the website that you can find and dive into. Um, that uh, will keep keep you keep you coming back for more on the on the upland habitat conservation side.
0: Heck yeah. I know um we a lot of our listeners like I mean I've said or primarily the hound side mm-hmm. a lot of bird doggers coming now since we've started working you know like with Ron Baim over at the Hunt and Dog podcast. Yep. You know, we've been gaining a lot of customers from that world which has been awesome. I will say the bird dog, you know, upland game hunters, the waterfowl hunters, they're very nice people to deal with. They are not like, I would say there was kind of a stigma for a long time. And we created this shift between like, there's hound guys, you know, scent dogs, and then there's the bird guys. And we were all on different levels. And I'll tell you, it's been awesome to get to know more of what you guys are doing and the efforts that that you're putting in. It is unreal. And it's really awesome to see the, the interest from a lot of like, I'll say my hound friends or things into bird hunting. Because I'll say, I've never been a bird hunter. Like, we'd always find a grouse running around deer season or something like that. You yep. know, st- stupid chickens running around the mountain. <laughs> but, you know, I'll tell you for the last, I'm going to say three, four weeks, my buddy and I, we've been pretty limited on time. So, we get one day a week, we get to go hunting. And we say we're going bear hunting, but really, we've got three boxes of 20 gauge in the truck. Yep. And we're, we're going out looking for quail and grouse. And, you know, it's the first season I've really thought about habitat like we just started noticing okay we're seeing quail here but we're not seeing them here and we're within quarter mile. yeah it's a huge difference you know the the quail we're finding are in much different habitat where the grouse it's like you get into that dark tall timber all of a sudden it's boom 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 there they are and you know we started kind of targeting different areas and even the time of day it is freaking exciting And it is a ton of fun no different than me going out and try to pattern a fox or a bobcat it's the same thing except there is a lot more shooting going on yeah and it is a ton of fun you
1: learn to read the landscape um of different quarry, and i think that's probably the the number one thing that i love most about bird i mean other than watching the dog work which is awesome in itself and you know nobody's going to disagree with that but Right, learning learning the birds, uh, you know pheasants, you know, the difference between the different quail species, and where they like to hang out, and sage grouse and sharp tail. There, there's uh, there's quite you know contrast between w- where these birds like to hang, and, you know short grass prairie versus long grass prairie and cattails and those types of things. That's pretty cool. Sure, and, you know not every not every pheasant hunter, not every upland bird hunter is created the same. Um, there's some that are extremely diehard, like. I'll put myself in that category. I hunt more than four probably probably forty to fifty days a year for upland, upland birds, which I would consider quite a bit. Um yeah. you know, versus just going out uh on a on a weekend day every once in a while. But um, you know, whether you're hardcore or not, I, I think sort of the common thread between uh, upland hunters or just hunters in general, guys that have dogs, is that they care about the resource. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I, think that's, I think that's sort of the number one thing is like, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't care about the resource and where it's coming from and how those birds are produced, um, there's, there's not going to be any in the future. And that's, that's yeah. the biggest thing at, for pheasants, Reverend quilt, forever, you know, we like to, like to tout is the, the habitat is the number one factor and that's not just for upland game birds, that's for all sorts of wildlife, but, um, habitat is number one. Uh, weather is going to affect it and have its swings, but ultimately the more habitat that we have in the landscape, the more world-class wildlife populations are we going to have. So, um, you know, we really appreciate people becoming members. If you're listening to this and you're not, and you want to learn more about, you know, presence Forever and Quill Forever, become a member. We got an awesome magazine that comes out, uh, four times a year, plus an extra upland super issue, uh, which just came out. I think I have it, I have it right here all the swanky yeah all the different species you can uh you can learn about and um share share a couple share a couple covers here yeah pretty cool but anything from uh you know spring spring is uh sort of a habitat issue summer is a dog issue uh fall is the uh hunting issue um and then winter uh gets into a, a number number of different things but it's, uh, it's a really great organization and if you want to learn more about uh, habitats uh, and the birds themselves and all the awesome work going on from volunteers and the organization itself across the country, it's 35 bucks become a member and uh, know that uh, we uh, are one of the highest ranked. Charities on, on Charity Navigator online uh, with with one of the, the highest ratings year after year. Like, if ninety one cents of every dollar that comes in the organization from membership is going straight in the ground for Habitat. so that's it, a chunk. Yeah, it's pretty cool, and, and uh, I, I like to hang our hat on that. So, uh, trans- yeah. transparency uh, in what we do as an organization is is uh, imperative.
0: Well, and I want to encourage everybody listening as well, because even if you're not a bird hunter, I will tell you, if you don't think that it affects everything that we all do in the outdoors, you're, you're blind because I'll tell you, you know, when we, this is just last weekend, you know, we go out and we start finding, you know, we're really patterning these birds and this and that. Well, I'm a fox hunter. Okay. Okay. I like chasing Fox and guess where the Fox are hanging out. Yeah,
1: you know, they're they're everywhere.
0: We were finding large <laughs> quail populations. Yeah. So I could drive around during the day and I'm like, I'm coming back here. I guarantee you, I can go get a Fox going right in here in, the, you know, no time. And it, it does affect it because I noticed when we had our big quail, we had a, a major quail die off and I don't know the logistics, you know, or the, the study if anybody did one here but just personal experience in the field i can tell you we had a major quail die off or lack of recruitment like there was no chick recruitment for years on at least this section of ground that we were hunting and when we started looking into that all of a sudden our fox population was way over i mean it was just overpopulated yeah that's all it was all of a sudden you start bringing predators down into a manageable level that's still huntable then all of a sudden you've got these coveys of quail that you know you're looking anywhere between 10 and 20 birds you know on average it seemed like where before you were lucky to see a pair running around for years and it's like in three years we saw such an increase in the quail recruitment and population increase. It's unreal. Yeah. Same with the turkeys. When we started cutting the turkeys, I don't know if that's a thing, but I will notice when we started limiting the turkey population, we saw the quails come up as well.
1: Yeah, tur- turkey doesn't really have too much of a correlate. I mean, what, would they would they eat a, would they eat a quail chick? Maybe if it if it ran past them, but. We don't see them. Right. We don't see them out there with, uh, you know, malicious intent going after them. But, at, you know, to your point, the big thing I was going to point out is, like, you know, especially when I used to live down in Iowa or even up here, I've got some neighbors that have got some conservation reserve program enrollment through the federal farm bill, right? They've taken, they took some of their uh, crop ground out and put it into conservation. Uh, you know, you've never... You never hunted a, you never tried hunting a big buck before uh, in a grass enrollment somewhere. You're missing out. Um, yeah. If you know you're wondering what's happened to your turkey population, and you know you install a a, a, a new grassland conservation program, well, those those chicks and and the hens need to you know lay a nest somewhere, and you can see big blooms in population uh, from that. You know, when you look about. You go further out west, the work we're doing uh for sage grouse. Um, you know, if you're a mule deer or you're an elk hunter, that that's a very, very important winter habitat okay. for those for those critters. So uh yeah, everything that we're doing for the bird, um, I like to say that they're a very colorful barometer of environmental health. When we do good things for of quail and other upland birds, um, all the other species, it's a it's a a, a positive positive
0: uptick for them on a number of different levels yeah well man i'll tell you i really appreciate you coming on jared this was like kind of thrown in my lap and i'm glad it happened um, <laughs> thanks for having us
1: sir. appreciate oh man
0: anytime you guys got any special projects going on or you want to get the word out you give me a call we'd love to have you back on i uh That'd i'm hoping great. maybe we'll get to meet you someday face to face i'd like to at least come and check out your event and and see what it's all about someday yeah
1: even if even if uh you guys don't have a booth there sometime you know just uh to, to fly out we'd love to love to host you and and uh it's just uh it's a great gathering of like-minded conservation and, and hunting minds so it's uh it really is a fun time but no i appreciate the time and and uh encourage folks if you're not a festival's Forever or Forever member uh you know get signed up on our website right now you can get a new pheasants forever hat uh with a neck buff that goes along with it for some of those uh you know late late season hunting adventures and for 35 bucks uh i i'm i'm gonna go ahead and say it's the it's the best best money you can spend for conservation knowing that 91 cents of every dollar goes right back into the ground
0: so thanks it definitely sounds like it's gonna spread a ways it is yep
1: it, it, it it does
0: one more time just so people know where to find you it was pheasantsforever.com
1: pheasantsforever.org and or, dot org, and I'm sorry. or you can look us uh all up on the different social platforms.
0: awesome well i wish you the best man and would stay in Thanks. touch we'll definitely have to get back together
1: yeah yeah i'd love uh get some quail out there i'm looking at coming to oregon you hey you
0: he let me know hey, <laughs> it sounds like way. i know a guy with the resources come. now
1: <laughs> yeah come this way for pheasants and rough girls we love uh we love meeting new people and seeing new landscapes.
0: heck yeah well man thank you again
1: you bet have a wonderful night
0: you too all right